Well, here we are, the last book of the Bible. We went through the books of the Old Testament. We've gone through the books of the New Testament, and we end up at the book of Revelation, a book that many folks in, uh, in Christendom, they ignore or don't pay much attention to. People avoid it. Why? The language is strange. Amen? The images are weird. The, uh, and, and some of the, to get your mind around it, is difficult. In fact, two of the reformers in, uh, well, let's just, uh, Martin Luther, he preached out of every book of the Bible except the book of Revelation. He would not do it. John Calvin, the father of the Reformed tradition, the, uh, uh, the tradition we come out of, he had a commentary on every New Testament book except the book of Revelation. He avoided it. And so for many Protestants, we are nervous about that book. Now, I think that there's a reason that people are nervous about it. And uh, the main reason is I believe that the evil one does not want us to read it because he doesn't do so well. And I think the confusion is a spiritual confusion and it's brought on because how dangerous this book is to all that is evil. And we're going to see why that is, because we know that evil is defeated. But let's say it's not in our Bible. Let's just maybe tear it out. If we tear it out, if we ignore it, then do you know what we end with? We end our Bible with 65 books focusing in on that wonderful book of Jude. That's where we would end. With Jude. Now, nothing against Jude. I'm sure he's a great guy. But <coughs> he would leave us with some struggles. Listen to how Jude, before the benediction, listen to how Jude ends. Ends like this. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, if you look at that, whose responsibility is it for the end, how you're doing at the end? You, this whole thing gets put on your shoulders and you're supposed to remember some of the things that the apostles said. That's not a great way to end history, having it depend on us. So let's pray, would we? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come with questions. Help us to be uh, certain 
with those things in our world that seem so uncertain. We pray that your Holy Spirit, in a miraculous way, would do what your Holy Spirit does best, is take words that are written on the page, even confusing words, and write them on our heart, <coughs> that we would leave here more like you. If there would be anything that would hinder that happening, I pray you would remove it, for we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You know, I announced last week or two weeks ago that we began January 5th of 2020 with saying we're going to study the 66 books of the Bible. We're going to take some time off for Christmas and for Easter and that we were just going to read through the Bible and that we were going to end with the book of Revelation on July 4th, 2021. And, and Kathy Lehman pulled me aside and she said, you know, how amazing that is? And like, no. I mean, yes, of course. And she said, isn't it amazing that we started it right before the pandemic and that it concluded as the pandemic in so many ways is winding down? Isn't it amazing that God put in our congregation that he walked us through the pandemic walking us through his word week after week. And the surprise is that almost every week it spoke into the struggles that we were having during those 18 months. My friends, that is no accident. And it's no accident that the Bible ends with the book of Revelation because it says... Not can, only can we trust God during difficult times, but we can trust God with the times that are yet to come. That is great. And I love the fact that Billy Graham, when uh, there were other times in our country where we were facing very difficult times, angry times and, and, and difficult. And somebody asked Billy Graham, said, aren't you worried about how this is all going to turn out? And Dr. Graham said, nope, not at all. I know how it ends. I know how it ends. And I am okay. We can put up with the middle when we know how it ends. Do you know that the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that promises a blessing? Well, let me read it to you. It's right up front. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one <coughs> excuse me, who reads aloud these words of prophecy. That'd be me. And, uh, and blessed are those who hear. That'd be you. And who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now, this word blessing is the same word used in the Gospel of Matthew. It means happy, whole, joyful are those that hear these words. Did you miss that this week when you read through that there was joy in those words? Did you miss when you heard those words that there's joy and and I certainly I need some joy these days and so I 
can't wait to see how that really works out. How in the word do you get joy out of this book? Well, first of all, Revelation verse 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 1. <coughs> the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Here's what I don't want you to miss. This book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, many folks, most folks miss that. And how do you know they miss it? Because they'll say, this book is the book of the revelations of Jesus. No, no, not revelations of Jesus. Or this book is the book of the revelations of end times, of the future. It is not a book of the revelations of what is to come, the end times. It is not the revelations of Jesus. That word revelation is apocalyptic. It means the unveiling. The key to the book of Revelation is it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ, period. It is not the, the unveiling of the end of the world. It is not the unveiling of end times. It is written to be the unveiling of Jesus. If you try to put a schematic on how history is going to end, you're reading the wrong book. This is the unveiling of who Jesus is. And that's where the blessing comes from. Do you know the author is, most scholars believe, the apostle John. And uh, John is writing this from prison. He's on an island called Patmos. He's chained in a quarry and he's beating on rocks all day long. That's his punishment. You see, they put him in prison because he kept telling people about the Lord, about Jesus. And they said, you can't do that. And if you do, we're going to put an end to you. And he said, I'm still going to do it. And they arrested him. And you know what they did? They put him, according to history, into a vat of boiling oil. But all he did was get wet. It did not kill him. What are you going to do with someone you can't kill? You get rid of them as best as you can. You put them away. And he was in this prison on, in, on an island called Patmos. And so... Here's John telling us in chapter 1, verse 9, I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation, the difficulties, and the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Christ. Jesus, was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit. Now, to know this, you're going to hear this a couple of times. He's saying, this didn't come because I dreamt it up. This came to me from the Holy Spirit. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Now, one of the difficulties with this is he says, write not what you hear, write what you see. And as you read what he saw, just a little side note, do you know that 11 times in this book, the angel has to say, you're supposed to be writing this down. 
I think he was gawking at all the different things. And, and, and the Holy Spirit kept having to tap him on the shoulder and say, you're supposed to be writing this down. And so he's writing what he sees. And that's part of the difficulty of reading because he's seeing things he can't understand. But you know, the amazing thing is, as you read through the book of Revelation, you he was writing about things he can't comprehend could ever happen. And as we read them, we're reading things that we think are possible because they're starting to happen all around us. That's an amazing difference. So you're thinking, all you English majors or Greek majors, wouldn't you think that if he wrote it in such broken, crazy language that when he was done with it, he'd go back and he'd correct his errors so you know, he'd get an A on the paper? Well, there's only one problem with this book and fixing the mistakes that appeared to be there says this in, um, in Revelation twenty two eighteen, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. In other words, he couldn't go back and redact it. If he changed any words, he was going to face punishment. These are the words. And let me tell you, because most of us, including me, are not Greek scholars. If we had a Greek New Testament here, we'd be more confused than the English. English authors have made this more easily understood because the Greek is so crazy. So that's to give you a little understanding. What's my biggest surprise in this book? Maybe what was your biggest surprise? I think my biggest surprise was here's John who spent three years with Jesus and was the disciple whom Jesus loved, was there in the first one called uh, with Peter and Andrew to be fishermen. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus heal people. He saw the transfiguration. He was one who saw Jesus more glorified than ever before. He was at the foot of the cross. He heard and saw Jesus get whipped. He heard the last words of Jesus from the cross. He saw the empty tomb that morning, that night. He encountered Jesus in the upper room, and he saw Jesus take the invisible elevator into the heavens. And the surprise for me is that when Jesus meets him, John doesn't recognize him. This is the guy he sat next to and had meals with for three years, laid on his chest, whispered to each other about the other disciples. I heard a voice. I turned around, and here's what I saw, Revelation 1, verse 12. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a 
furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And on his face well, it was shining like the sun in full strength. So what does John do? He faints. Right there, passes out. <coughs> so what do you, what's the takeaway? There is much more to Jesus than you and I can imagine. And some of us do Jesus a terrible injustice by having him be our best friend, our best buddy, just like us. We don't allow him to be who he is. And I think my biggest surprise in heaven will be encountering Jesus because I've had him like this and he is like that. So I love the fact. Now, it doesn't say because John's passed out. But I, I, I get the picture here that look at the next phrase. I think Jesus goes over and whispers in his ear as he's on the ground passed out. Fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I, I'm the one that died, and behold, I live forever. And I have the keys to death in Hades. I think he gave John some clues so that John would recognize him. I think you and I might recognize him when we look at his hands and see the nail scars as he throws them around us. But other than that, I'm not sure we would recognize him because we have him in such a little box. And he is so much more. So, the next thing you need to see is that he's standing among seven lampstands, seven churches. Now, I love the fact that the church is a lampstand. It brings light to the world. That's what we're celebrating. That's why we gather. Christ is in the midst of us and allows us. He is the light of the world. He told his disciples because of their relationship and faith in him, they would be the light of the world. We are. The church is the light to the world. The church is actually the only hope that our country and our world has. He stands among the lampstands. And then what he tells us about each of the lamps is very disappointing because almost all of them 100% fail him because they're like us. We have a prayer of confession because we need to clean house. We need to admit we blow it and these churches blew it. But you know what I love about it? I love the fact that there's a verse. If you read through the chapter 2 and 3, you have the, the seven churches. And, and there's why those seven? And there's lots of things that a reason for those seven. And they're all unique. And we don't have time to go into them. But what, you, what I want you to know is that each of them, he knew their works. He knew they tried, but they fell short. They got blindsided and short-sighted and 
But look how it ends. The end of Revelation chapter 3, after these churches who have all had their struggles in one way or the other, he says this. To those I love, I reprove, I in discipline, so be zealous and repent. But here's the verse. Because this verse has been misused every time I've used it in the past. So that's a problem. But here it is. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me, he, she with me. And the one who conquers, I will grant him and her to sit with me on my throne as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So what do you mean, Jerry? You, you misquoted this all your life. Because most preachers use this for non-Christians. Hey, would you like to start a relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, he stands at the door and knocks. And you know, you've seen the picture of Jesus standing there. He's got the rouge and the lipstick. And, and there's no handle on the door. He's knocking because he can't force himself in. Guess what? That's not the door to your heart. He's writing to the church. He's not writing to non-believers. He's writing to the church, to you and me, because we blow it. And we push him out the door. But he's not going away. He is staying faithful even when we are not. And you know the other part that's interesting? If he's writing to the seven churches, but he says, whoever opens the door. Do you know how you change a church? One person who will open the door to Jesus Christ can change a whole church, even if the rest of them are going in the different direction. That's what the verse says. And then maybe the jump from chapter 3 to chapter 4. Did you notice it? Look, he says, if you open the door, I'm going to put you on the throne with me. So where does chapter 4 go? We've gone from the seven churches on earth. Chapter 4, a door opens to the throne room. Remember, he said, if you open the door, I'm going to put you on the throne. So chapter 4 opens with the throne room doors open, and we get an invitation. John gets an invitation into heaven. And what's happening in heaven? La. There's worship. And people are bowing down. And God is being glorified and honored. And do you know what happens in verses chapters 6 through 18? They look down onto the earth. And that's where all the difficulties happen. But here's what I want you to know. No matter how difficult things can be down here, heaven is always heaven. The struggle. Heaven doesn't struggle with anything. 
And so you have these two pictures. You have John standing in heaven and seeing worship and God honored and life as it's supposed to be. And they look down at what happens on a broken and fallen place called earth. But do not miss, no matter how difficult. I remember 9-11, where is God? Remember that? You could name, when the pandemic came, where is God? When something difficult, where is God? God is on the throne. And heaven is okay. And this place is still broken. But the wonderful thing about the book of Revelation, it tells us that it's not going to be broken forever. But no, no matter how broken it is down here, God is on the throne. And it is okay. Just a few more minutes. Revelation 4, verses 1 to 3. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here. I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And it is an amazing two chapters of, of a great place to be. Well, it's time to go. The ice is melting out in the truck. Revelation chapter 21. Do you know it's the first time God speaks? He doesn't speak any other time in the book of Revelation until chapter 21. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He's not just rebuilding He's doing a new thing. And he said, write this down. Because John is like, uh? He goes, you're supposed to be writing this, John. For these words are trustworthy and true. You can count on them. You can count on them. I can count on them. And then I love this. I never saw this before. I've read this thousands of times. And he said to me, it is done. Where's the last time we heard something like that? What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. Not I am finished. It is finished. And here you have the words from the throne of God saying it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And the book ends, chapter 22, with two invitations. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Now you could just read over that. Scientists know that to be Venus. It's the last star you could see as, as the sun comes up. And it even shines when the sun is up. Aren't you and I tired of movie stars and sports stars and music stars having the big word in our culture? There's only one star that is left in the end who speaks. 
And that's Jesus. He is the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life without price, come. This thirst is a longing for God. It's an invitation to come. The last words of the, of the New Testament, the last words of the Bible is an invitation for you and me to come. And what a joy it is to be invited to the party. And if you've not taken that invitation seriously, you need to take it today. For it is done. And these words are faithful and true. The primary purpose of the prophecies of Revelation is not to inform us about the future, but to draw us closer to Christ. It is not to inform us about the final events, but rather assure us about the presence of Jesus Christ with his people during history and the final events. And if that doesn't bring you joy, nothing will. And so what does John write? Come, Lord Jesus. And the book ends. You think about that. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for the invitation for us to come. And if there's anyone who's not taken that invitation or doesn't realize the joy of being invited to the celebration, to the place called home, open our minds and our hearts this day to what that means because it is awesome. And then as a result of that, Lord, <coughs> we don't want you to wait another day. Come today, Lord Jesus. Come. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, he uh, took a loaf of bread, ordinary bread. And he said, this is my body. Now, what, what you need to do and understand is, is we ingest this. We, we take it into our lives as by faith. We take into our lives our trust and love for Jesus Christ. But it is a body of Christ thing. This isn't done in your room at home by yourself. This is done in the body because as we ingest these elements, it becomes part of us. We become part of each other. That's what, as they shared the common loaf of bread, that's what that signifies. And Jesus said, this is my body and it's broken for you. Do this, eat this. And when you do, do it in memory of me. And at that same meal, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this, do this. And when you do, remember, remember me. The Apostle Paul tells us as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death and his resurrection, his ascension and his coming back. And we proclaim that there's a place prepared for us. And we proclaim we're in this thing together as we share these elements. And we proclaim the joy that awaits us in that place called home. If you would, turn to each other and say, the body of Christ is broken for you.
And the blood of Christ is shed for you because it is our community that we do this together. And as you ingest the elements, let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that this meal is for us, a reminder of the depth of your love and what it took to restore us into a relationship with you, a reminder that there's a place called home waiting for us, prepared. And oh Lord, may this day we have a sense of it that we want you to come back sooner than later. We pray these things. Thank you for this blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. As we studied an awesome book and celebrated an awesome victory and uh, so grateful for you all, whether you have given or prayed for this place, prayed for me, the staff, um, we are grateful for you. Dorothy Briss is having a party um, Saturday the 10th, you're all invited here as she turns 91. She led the choir and the bells, I think, for a good while before I came. And uh, the Lenzers have a little one being baptized on Wednesday. If you'd like to be part of that, around 11 o'clock, we're celebrating that. It's going to be a great week. As you leave this place, know the freedom first that you have in Christ. The forgiveness that you have through his shed blood on the cross who has blessed you to live in a country where you can celebrate that freedom and that faith in a spectacular way. And may you and I, the church, knowing the end, may we be able to step into any mess that our culture puts up, representing the kingdom of God. Go in peace to love, serve, and celebrate him. And can't wait till he comes back. Amen.